Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I am your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. The light shines on us today from Philippians chapter 3. Paul reminds us that the Christian life is like a race. I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, he says. And he quotes other lines that we've heard quite a bit. Christ Jesus has made me his own, and our citizenship is in heaven. When he transforms our lowly bodies to our glorious body, what grace, what love, and what we have in Christ. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. A special thanks this morning to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us Pastor Ingo Dutzman of Harpswell, Maine, formerly served as a parish pastor of First Lutheran Church in Boston, Massachusetts. Pastor Dutzman, welcome to Thy Strong Word. A joy to be with you, to use St. Paul's favorite word, or one of his many favorite words. <laughs> well, and Philippians is the book of joy, um, the it rejoicing all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So, Pastor Dutzman, you've been on Thy Strong Word for a while. You've been on KFU for a while, too. But this is our first time together, and uh, we have new listeners all the time from around the world. So can you introduce yourself and the, the work of ministry that you've done and maybe currently are doing? Sure, be a pleasure. Uh, on a uh, on a quick note, uh, corporately, I'm delighted with uh, my home congregation, First Lutheran. Not only have they revived their annual Bach Festival, which draws hundreds of people to wonderful venues for 12 hours straight on Bach's birthday. Obviously, COVID took that away last year, but the hmm. church also just sent a major tithe to the district, so it's you are a member of a congregation that's been struggling or whatever financially. Uh, just don't forget that there are people who also support you in the district. On a more personal level, I had the joy of baptizing the latest of our grandchildren. I don't know that there'll be any more, but little Luca, <laughs> Edward, DeAndrea in Annapolis, Maryland, just a couple of weeks ago was a great joy. And this is the 25th year that I am directing a, a wonderful place called Lutheran Camp Winnie on Lake Winnipesaukee in beautiful New Hampshire. With uh, It's a family camp with wonderful speakers, district presidents. Uh, we've had president of, uh, of one of our seminaries in past years, and uh, it will take place the 8th to the 14th of August this year. Much looking forward to it. Wonderful, wonderful. So, lake. Say the name of the lake again. Oh yeah, it's a name, isn't it? Winnipesaukee. <laughs> w i n n i p e s a u k e e. Oh my lord! It, it means great water in a high place. Oh wow! Well, that's that would make sense in New Hampshire, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually only five hundred feet above sea level, but it's oh. only about oh forty miles to the ocean. So it, it drops a bit from there, but it's all spring fed. It's a hundred square miles, one of the most beautiful lakes in all the world. Wonderful, wonderful. So you are currently now in Maine, no longer in Boston. I live in Maine. I uh, Daria and I've retired here. 
Uh, we actually, I was pastor here, 83 to 90. So that's uh, hmm. before most of the folks listening were born, probably. But <laughs> we really enjoyed the state. And frankly, Boston doesn't have enough snow, and we like snow. So Maine is a better cup of tea. And by the way, uh, based on St. Paul's admonition, I am still married to the same woman, uh, be the husband <laughs> of one wife. My children are under reasonable control. I don't drink too much, just a little wine for my stomach. I'm not yeah. greedy for money. It's okay to have. And I am open to hospitality, which means if you're in Maine or anywhere near, call. I'm always good for lunch and a boat ride, maybe more. Wow. Wow. Uh, we live on an island. So- Okay. All right. All right. On an island there in, uh, let's see here. What did I say? Harpswell, Maine? Is that where it's at? Harpswell, Maine. Don't the Wonderful. angels play their harps well? <laughs> this is great. What a joy to have <laughs> you, you Pastor Deusman. you got to have Deusman. fun with it, right? <laughs> exactly. Oh, this is just great. Well, you are my first guest from the state of Maine. Um, pretty excited about that. Also, I had a guest from New Hampshire, Pastor Stecker from Grace Lutheran Church in Nashua. And I'm from Minnesota, so I tell you what, Pastor, if you ever want snow, you can come to Minnesota as well. What do you think? Well, there you go. I, well, I love Minnesota. I love Minnesota. Beautiful place. Good. A lot awesome. Of there. Awesome. Well, then, then I like you as well. How about that? So as Good. we look at Philippians today, as, as we say, back on the farm, we're looking at Philippians, and we're going to be digging into God's Word this morning. And as we do so, Pastor, can you begin us in prayer? I'd be delighted. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. We thank you, precious Jesus, for the good news, the good news that we are not alone, the good news that we have a home, the good news that we've been bought with a price, the good news that we can say joy in Jesus, even if we have a thorn in the flesh, because your grace is sufficient for us and your strength will be revealed in our weakness. So help us on this day, Lord, in this program and beyond to share the best news the world has ever heard. Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ will come again. In his glorious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we have just concluded chapter uh, chapter 2 and into chapter 3. And there's a lot of, I mean, Philippians is just full, as you said, joy. And the joy in chapter 2 of looking at Jesus, his humiliation, his exaltation. We hear of Jesus speaking about in chapter three, he's speaking about all the, the, I would say, badges of honor that he had, you know, circumcised, Hebrew of Hebrews, zealot for the faith, blameless under the law, but all of it is rubbish to gain Christ. And these are, I mean, to me, I, I just feel like we're, we're, we're just building everything up and we almost come to it here in, in these verses into chapter four, like going on a roller coaster, that the, the big, uh, uh, the big, moment of joy as we as we really get into it as Paul's in jail. But are there other uh, background and introductory thoughts you have to help us out as we begin today? Well, I think one of the things that's clear here is Paul is talking about us living in two places. Uh, we are temporarily here, and we need to make the best of it uh, with joy But despite the fact there are going to be burdens in life, and some of them are severe, Uh, he's obviously in prison, but not in Philippi because of the governor there. He even refused to uh, 
to uh, have Christians persecuted under Caligula and Nero. So Philippi was a fairly safe place, and it was removed from Rome. So many of the people there were retired Roman officials, Roman soldiers, obviously all with Roman citizenship. Their home, if you will, was Rome, but they were away from home. And in many ways, it's a picture of us as Christians. Our home is in heaven, but for the time being, we're away from home in Minnesota and in Maine and wherever we might be. And that's that's very helpful because that language comes across very clearly clearly today, and it and 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 it also as we know the context once again that he's in jail when he's saying all this joy language, and it definitely is something where he's pointing us to this is what I have now. And he says, you know, before this in Philippians one talking about you know oh, to be great to be with Jesus, but I am here for your sake. So there's also that. And I think you said it well, is that that we're doing the best we can for the sake of the neighbor is kind of how Paul talks. Any thoughts on that as we look at these verses? Well, he says he would rather be in heaven, right? But on the other hand, he says, but guess what? I'm still alive. And that means God has a purpose for me. And my purpose is that I am not only setting my eyes on Jesus and on the heavenly home to which he has called me, and which he's assured me of in my baptism, but I also want to, by any means possible, bring as many others with me as I can. Wonderful. Well, and we hear those words uh, right before our verses today. So today we're reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12, and actually sneaking into chapter 4 and verse 1. So I want to, I want to do this, Pastor, is I'll go a few verses at a time, but I want to start in verse 11, and then go through 14, because I think verse 11 helps us out. Yeah, I think it helps us out this morning. So uh, let's begin 11 through 14. Reminder to our listeners that we are reading from the English Standard Version. So let's open up our Bibles because the gifts are ready. Verse 11, Paul says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind the straining and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So there's a lot of words here. Where do you want to begin, Pastor? Well, I think it's helpful to think back to Second uh, Corinthians twelve seven, where he talks about uh, this uh, amazing thing that happened to quote a man fourteen years ago, obviously him. Yeah, right. Where, in some way, shape, or fashion, he had a vision of heaven. Perhaps because God knew the uh, the special burdens that he would go through as a Jewish Pharisee who suddenly is speaking about Jesus, Uh, whatever it is, despite that, he wants us to focus on the earth we live in and the heaven that we will come to by the promise of God and not to lose sight of it. It is always to be in in our hearts and minds. And one of the things that he speaks, and this is throughout all of this, 
is that he says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And I, w- I would love to hear your thoughts on this, Pastor. You've, you know, you've been in ministry a long time. And, and one of the things that people will read, especially these, all these passages, and go, well, he's talking about like, work. <laughs> He's talking about the upward goal. He's talking about um, uh, that I may attain the resurrection of the day. It doesn't sound like he's like, you know, works are, you know, it doesn't talk about like, uh, we're not saved by works, but it almost sounds like he's speaking that way. How would you describe that in these verses to somebody? Well, I think the point is, if my rich uncle says, hey, uh, my inheritance is going to you, but I'd like to see you enjoy it. So here it is. And then he goes blind and asks me to come once a week and read the Bible to him or open his mail. Would I not gladly do that? Well, Mm. in Jesus, do I not have something far greater than an earthly inheritance? I have forgiveness. I have redemption. I have salvation. I have heaven being personally prepared for me. Will I not joyfully want to do all I can that not only do I find myself in that place, but along the way, as Daniel says long ago, and as Paul reiterates, we shine like the stars in the sky. And that's very helpful too. I, you know, uh, I hope I have an uncle like that. How about that? Um, oh, me, <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's very helpful because when he says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And you can't help but think about the catechism um, when it goes through uh, the second article, when it says that Jesus has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, goes through all of that, and then says that I may be his own. And live under, and him, live and under him and his kingdom. Yep, you bet. Yeah. And, and this, and then, well, and it continues, and serve him everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. He cannot help but realize the now and not yet. I am here working hard, but he's the one who has, who has called me as his own, but it does not mean the work has ended. Right. We don't, we serve, we don't simply vegetate. Oh, I have eternal life. I'll just sit back and relax. Well, There is joy in the work beyond all measure. I just read that uh, there is a great joy in the lives of people who have intergenerational friends. Now, think about it. Many people don't make a point of getting to know people. Pastors are lucky. A, they kind of have to know people. But if you're (laughs) really fortunate like me, I actually like them. I mean, it's fantastic. (laughs) So I have all kinds of intergenerational friends who will not only think about it, not only survive me, the younger ones, but they may carry on the faith that I share with them. And will not that be a greater joy than any other earthly inheritance you could possibly give to anyone? I don't want to uh, go too deep into this, but it's true uh, because I think about this. You know, I went into ministry when I was 26. I'm now 41, so I've been in this for about over 15, just about 15 years. And I was thinking, as a 26 year old, I was hanging out with a 74 year old secretary when I started in ministry. 
And and she was a hoot. I mean, she still is a hoot, but I'm at a different church now. But I think about all the things I learned from her because of this intergenerational dynamic. And there's people in their 40s. And when you're 26, you typically don't hang around that age group. And now being 41, exactly. you know, sometimes you hang around 20, 22 year olds. I visit a lot, do a lot of visits from college students and everything. And you're right. There's a real joy in that to show us. Um, one, the, the, the people who have done the straining in, in the faith, those who have pressed on and are able to look back and reflect upon that. And then now, now at the stage where I'm at, I'm able to, I strained a little more. And so you kind of pass that on to other generations as well. Any other last thoughts on that? That's a very good insight. And Paul is reflecting in the same way. Well, I like your insight because I'm thinking what I learned as a younger pastor, I did not start as young as you. I was like 10 years older when I began my actual ministry. But what I learned from those who were older than me was so valuable. And much of that learning was given to me with humility by the people who shared it. And that was so appreciated. Uh, they recognized I was a little green and I needed a little time, but they also <laughs> gave me credit for my faith and my willingness to serve. And what a, what a great, great experience that was beginning in ministry. And I think Paul is definitely doing that for Philippians, is that he is he's encouraging them in the faith. He's he's telling them, he's reminding them that he can still rejoice in the faith. And and sometimes we'll see that in ministry in the strangest of times. And I think we it's a witness, and we're gonna learn more about this when Paul says, uh, imitate me, which is a little exactly. bit uncomfortable 17. at times. Yeah, it's a little uncomfortable at times, but it, it is something that does get revealed of this understanding of those who have pressed on or are pressing on, who are straining toward the goal, the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus are such a great, um, uh, a great witness to all of us of what God has done. So looking at tw- uh, verses 11 through 14, other thoughts you have on these verses, Pastor? I'm good with it. I think you've done a great job. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Well, let's continue on. Verses 15 and 16. I think I'm going to do this too. I'm going to do 15 and 16, and then I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 1, because I think they interconnect very, very, very well. So bear with me, everybody. 15, 16, and then go to verse 1 in chapter 4. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Therefore, my brothers, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So here he uses words of, of holding on. Uh, uh, let's see here. Hold true to what we have attained. When I, th- when I think of those words, I, I, as Lutherans, we tend to kind of get worrisome about this too. What do you mean that God gives us to us as a gift? What do you mean holding on? God's already given it to us. How does this look? How would you describe that to someone, Pastor? Well, we live in a world that is sinful. And we acknowledge even on the best of days, we are sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. And we dare not let down our guard. So at very least, Uh, We are to be mature, as he says, in the faith, 
And that maturity is to have Christ's mind uh, firmly in our own consciousness. Um, If we don't do that, we may find ourselves slipping. So we need to be careful lest we fall. It doesn't mean we can't be forgiven. It doesn't mean we'll never sin again. We certainly will. But thanks be to God and Jesus, we are forgiven uh, because of what he has done for us. And by the very fact that we can say, crucified, risen, coming again, there is a great Mm. hope for us that not only do we have the final goal already in our grasp, but we're not there yet. As you said so well, you know, we are here uh, and we are going there, um, but we're not there yet. And in the meantime, these burdens will continue to come and we need to hang on to our maturity and let others see us in that maturity and therefore become imitators of us. And this is this brings me back to chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes through the whole, um, the whole dynamic of Jesus' humiliation and his exaltation, and he tells, challenges, them, challenges us to be mature in the faith. Now, this is something I've kind of struggled with a little bit, is what does it mean to be mature in the faith? What does that look like, or how would you describe that to somebody? Well, for a start, I'm humbled by the fact that uh, uh, that Jesus, uh, as, as chapter 2 says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Some of the early fathers had trouble with that. How can Jesus make himself nothing? But he makes himself nothing for what? For us. So that as the Father looks at us in our sinfulness, which is always our here on earth, but he looks through the veil of the blood of Jesus, we are clean. Hmm. We are perfectly righteous before God because of the gift of Christ and the shedding of his precious blood. So the maturity is to recognize that has already been done for us, but now we need to cling to it and have others imitate it in our own maturity. And, and this is, I mean, I was, I was kind of looking up a few of these words of holding on. You know, I think of holding on as I'm on a roller coaster and I'm, I'm deathly afraid of heights. So I'm not good on roller coasters by any means. But when you, when you hold tight, you are holding on to whatever it is you can grab a hold of when you are on a roller coaster. At least, as for me, I don't know about you, Pastor. Are you a roller coaster guy? Well, let's put it this way. I've been on a number of them. I like them, but I'm not one of those people with the hands up in the air. You know, it's just not me. So I'm like you. I hang on. Exactly. And, <laughs> and that's where I would definitely I'll definitely see that grasping of that to dear life that you're holding on. And in Hebrews 10, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Um, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, and by which you are being saved, which is, you know, uh, the, the resurrection, that's chapter 15, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. And then he says in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord, which I was kind of looking at that as another way of holding fast. So he almost goes from this language of a race 
in you know uh, uh to 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 strain towards the goal kind of like uh, hebrews 12 uh let us run with endurance the race set before us looking to jesus or fixing our eyes on jesus and then he gets to this holding understanding so you're running you're holding you're running you're holding this is the christian life any thoughts on that in some ways it's like the uh the uh, olympic event where you uh you run the track with four runners and they pass the baton, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're running and you're holding on. And boy, if you don't meet in stride, you lose time. And if you drop the baton, there's no way you're going to end up winning. So I, I guess for me, because I know that Christ is mine, mm-hmm. that he has done everything needed for this body and life, I don't worry on a daily basis Am I going to heaven? Am I not going to heaven? But I do concern myself with being a person who is not only speaking Jesus, but also living Jesus. And people can tell that I have a spirit that is in Christ and not simply serving myself. That's a, that is a, a true fact. I remember when I worked at a camp, that there was a, a wonderful um, person that worked with us, and he was going around and asking all of us, when did you know you were saved? And he was a, bap- a good Baptist guy, and, and most of us were Lutherans. And I remember at the end of the conversation, like throughout that week, because then we kind of went our own way, working with kids in the mountains and all this stuff. This is actually in upstate New York in the Adirondacks. And 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 at yeah. the end of the week, he was just— he was just yeah, it's sun, sunrise, sunrise, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and and at the end of the week, he was just flabbergasted. All these Lutherans didn't know when they were saved, and we we're all kind of like, we've always known we're saved. <laughs> and so exactly. it was just this great understanding of that holding on to the gifts of Christ, holding on to the hope that we have in Christ, and and um and, and it wasn't based on our emotions, wasn't based on necessarily an experience, even though we've had experiences. But there was that, it was the first time we realized that the focus on the grace of God, that he has made me his own, is something that, that begins everything and we strain through the rest, like hiking a mountain. But we, can, we don't have to get into that right now. But right now, Pastor Deusman, we need to take a break. And uh, we are studying Philippians chapter 3 with Pastor Ingo Deutzman, and we will be right back. The Missouri Army National Guard can help you get the education you need to land the career you've always wanted. The Guard will pay up to 100% of your tuition for up to 39 credit hours per academic year at 90 colleges and tech schools across the state. You're eligible as soon as you enlist. Learn more about the many benefits that come with serving part-time in the Missouri Army National Guard. Visit NationalGuard.com today. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association in this station. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. 
And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. And welcome back. We're studying Philippians chapter 3 with Pastor Ingo Dutzman. And as we look at these words, we are uh, reminded of the now and not yet. And Pastor Dutzman, you've said it so well, the understanding of we live in two worlds here, but yet we know that heaven is still yet to come. And one of the things I wanted to highlight this is, uh, Pastor Dutzman, a, a few years ago, you spoke at a LCEF leadership conference. I can't remember where that was. Was that Chicago? Do you remember where you were when you when we spoke? Uh, or where were we? Probably somewhere south. Texas, oh, well, you're, yeah. Florida, you Arizona, hope it was California <laughs> is usually where we are. We've been in Raleigh, North Carolina once. Actually, oh, we were in Chicago once. Um, one and I can't remember yeah. exactly which one that was. But I right. do remember the occasion. At least I think yep. I remember. Is it the one where I talked about our house blowing up? Yes, or that would be the one the, where I yeah, talked that, about the Boston bombing. No, this one was not the Boston. This was your own home. And obviously, we could have a whole another story about the Boston bombing and, and how that worked. But I wanted to start with your home because uh, uh, the, at the time, CEO Rich Robertson talked to you, had an interview with you, and, and you talked about your house blowing up. And they had an interview on TV. And what amazed me and my, my wife was kind of how calm you were about the whole thing. And any any... <laughs> Any reflections on that? Because that was a witness to us that we want to imitate <laughs> to see how calm you were as you spoke about this. But why? Why be so calm? Your house blew up. How? What all happened? Can you explain to our listeners? Well, I uh, I appreciate uh, the fact that you even uh, heard that broadcast. But so in a nutshell, we had propane tanks feeding a generator because we lost power a lot and everything was outside the house but the lines were improperly installed, uh, it appears, and an ice dam came off the roof, damaged the line, the gas leaked into the basement, and our dear son started a shower at 10 to 2 in the morning, which frankly saved our life because Mm. had the furnace not started then but started later, presumably the explosion would have been bigger. But at any rate, it was big enough. The north end of the house, pretty much disappeared. Front door was uh, 70, 80 feet laying out on the ice on the river, windows hanging in trees. Fortunately, that's not the part of the house we were in. Um, So the calmness, I would say that day with five helicopters in the sky, all these these, uh, TV uh, stations, NBC, ABC, and all the rest, um, it must have been a slow news day. I mean, why did friends in France and Australia see my fire on their 
TV. It's a very slow news day. But uh, I found myself saying, like, praise the Lord and pass the potatoes. It's a favorite phrase of mine. And I said it even then to some of the interviewers on TV because my family's alive. Except for a little bit of bruised feet walking barefoot on the snow to get out of the house, um, we were fine. We survived. Stuff can be replaced, much as I think about stuff that we lost every day because I miss it, certain special things. Uh, However, uh, God is good. God is great. And he saved me for another date. I mean, it's just as simple as that. So I even even have come to say, uh, and I started saying it pretty quick, uh, it was more exciting than Disney World. Disney, it's dark. You know something's going to happen, and therefore you're anticipating, right? You're hanging on to that roller coaster as it comes up to the crest. Mm-hmm. But if you're asleep and you suddenly wake up to a loud boom and you're in the air and land back down in your sleep surface, uh, that definitely comes unexpectedly. And boy, I, there's people who would probably pay for that, right? <laughs> Pretty exciting. <laughs> I suppose so. I suppose so. Well, like I Thank said, you. For you the compliment. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> it's something where we watched. Um, we watched that you speak about this, and you said, and this really goes with what we're going to get to in verses twenty and twenty-one. Is you spoke about how this destruction points us to the, the, the blessed hope that we have that is still yet to come. And, and that really hit home. Uh, I know for uh, people I've to- talked to is that you see the brokenness here and you're reminded that there will be a day with no more tears. There will be a day with no more destruction, no more explosions. It reminds us of what it will be in the future of not the now and the definitely not yet. So something to look forward to. So yeah. any, any last thoughts on all in that? In a small way, what my parents brought me into the world in, we lived in a very, very bombed out Braunschweig or Brunswick, Americans say, Germany. And there were still buildings there that were not rebuilt when uh, Daria and my folks and I visited in 2002. So think about it. Mm. 57 years later, still places that had the destruction from the bombing. So by comparison, my house was a little thing. Wow. Wow. That's a good perspective as well, that God's grace continues even though the marks of destruction still hold on. So let's move on uh, to verses 17 and 18, where it talks about imitating. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, because as a Minnesotan, we don't want anyone to think of ourselves as narcissistic. And Paul sounds narcissistic here. So I want you to help us out in how this looks. 17 and 18. <laughs> Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So there's a couple things here, but the first thing I want want to focus on is he says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example. So how does this work? I mean, we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're supposed to, you know, um, cling to the cross kind of language. But here he's saying, imitate me. How do we justify this? How do we look at this as Christians? 
the initial phrase that comes to my mind is, let people hear Jesus from me and see Jesus in me. Mm-hmm. So to that extent, uh, to the extent that we are people of faith, we ought to let our faith so shine before men that they will see our good works and give glory to God the Father who is in heaven, right? Jesus says right. that in the Sermon on the Mount. Or again, I, I quoted Daniel in my prayer. I just love that phrase, that uh, we will shine. Those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars in the sky. So not out of a sense of, look how great I am, but out of a confidence that when I imitate Christ to the best of my ability, there is something there worth emulating and worth seeing as an example for the lives of others. And like you said, that you are the light of the world, a city, a city set on a hill, that people may see your good works and then give glory to God, our Father, who is in heaven. Now, we talked a little bit about this when we started the program, is there have been people in our lives who we fixed our eyes on and we saw it a good example. And Paul obviously was that example. He, he speaks about all the of the things that he had to go through. We read this in the book of Acts, but also we see this in our churches. Do you have any thoughts on how this plays out in the life of the church or in our Christian lives of people that we want to imitate? I think to my uh, many years at a wonderful congregation in Utica, Michigan, the congregation had as many members as the entire town of Utica, about uh, 12 miles due north of Detroit. And uh, Hmm. I saw in my pastors a way of living that fascinated me almost to the point of, gosh, is it possible to be that good? I also (laughs) saw a man who would every Sunday, I would watch him. He would pull out a $50 bill. This is in the 1950s and put it in the offering plate. $50 was a lot of money in the 1950s. Um, When we came to this country, my dad earned $100 a week. So, and that was in the, in the fifties. So my goodness, I, and I thought to myself, wow, someday I would like to do that. So the point is the examples were given in humility by people who didn't know that they're necessarily being watched. Of course, pastors, they're always being watched. But the point is, to the extent that they live lives that are exemplary and that reflect their Christian faith, it does affect others, even people who are not Christian. And this is what I find uh, even now in Darius and my life. We have some young friends who aren't particularly related to church, who are beginning to attend church with us, and we are modeling in their behavior. Here's the one thing that's happened. One of them in particular used to use curse words and she doesn't anymore. And she gave us credit Mm. for it. So praise the Lord and pass the potatoes. (laughs) Pass the potatoes. Now, where did that come from? I'm I'm thinking of, uh, you know, I I like other foods even more than potatoes, but how potatoes come? Where'd that come from? Well, uh, growing up... (laughs) In post-war Germany, uh, that was a a phrase in German, because some meals, that's all we had. Gotcha. Yeah. So if we had an egg, oh my gosh, 
an egg or a piece of meat. Oh, my Lord, that was really special. But <laughs> potatoes were often the staple of the day. So we praise the Lord that we are alive. We thank him for the potatoes. And, oh, by the way, maybe someday there'll even be an egg. Nice. I'm going to I'm writing this stuff down. This is wonderful, Pastor Dutzman. I this is the uh the pastoral statements that I will pass on and I will imitate you with these words. How about that? You think it's going to work? By all means, be my guest. You don't even need to give credit. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, and one of the things I was thinking about this is on Sunday in my sermon, I, you know, John three sixteen was was the gospel lesson. Ephesians two eight, uh, two, uh, Ephesians chapter two verses one through ten were were the epistle reading, and I spoke about how growing up in, in my in my home I have like five church cookbooks, right? So you look at all these cookbooks, and there's there's good food, there's tons of desserts, there's tons of casseroles, there's tons of all this stuff. Any good Lutheran cookbook, and one thing I noticed, my daughter pulled it out. And this is from 1989 and pulled it out and she's looking through it and looking and she's looking at the recipes. When I go back, I grew up in a, in a my dad's a pastor and and looked at all the looked at all this because I remember these people. I looked at the names and what it shot in my mind was all these different ways these people witnessed to me. One gal, she wrote a recipe for some kind of cherry cookies. But I remember her as a gal who would play guitar and teach us songs in Sunday school. And, you know, other people oh, are yeah. making all these different things. And, and, and it was, it was just, it just kind of opened my mind to all these things that these individuals would do. One of them was a, a, the former secretary, Joe, and she would, and, and she's one that when we would come, she almost wanted to give us a hug every single time. When, you know, when you're a second grade boy, you don't want these people giving you hugs. You know, this is enough, you know, what's going on. But, but they, they, they love the Lord and, and these recipes reflected this foundational understanding of what the confession they were holding on to and what a witness for me. 32 years later, most of those people are no longer with us or with our Lord Jesus, um, but that witness goes on. So that's my encouragement to you as listeners, is to think of those people who you um, have imitated or have wanted to imitate, and to give thanks that the Lord put them in your life so that we will walk according to the example that they had before us. Do you have any cookbooks, Pastor? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although I'm not much of a cook, but uh, the good Lord has given me a bride who uh, she could probably cook in heaven, honestly. So I'm a, I'm a very fortunate man. Very fortunate. That's man. wonderful. That's that's my encouragement too. Is if any of you listeners have a a church cookbook, it might be a a good source of prayer um, to pray, give thanks for people who are no longer are with us, and to give thanks for those who are with us still. But I want to move on to verse 18. He talks about imitating. And then he gets to verse 18, and I argue that he, this is where we start seeing the pastoral Paul. The Paul just doesn't go to a town, and we see this in, in, in Ephesus, we see this in Corinth, we see this in all these cities, that he spent time there. He knew people there. He knew the Galatians. He knew these individuals. And Philippians, the people in Philippi, you could tell that he cared for them, because here he says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And there he's speaking about, he tells them, hold fast to the gospel, hold fast to the Lord, cling to our Lord Jesus, because there are people who will walk away. And he is crying over this. Pastor, can you kind of talk about this in your ministry and how you've seen this and in, in the grieving that happens um, in our lives? Sure. Well, 
I, I think, for example, of people who uh, have been uh, longtime members of a church, suddenly something calamitous happens in their lives, death of a loved one, um, or uh, we recently uh, had a service uh, in Boston uh, for the unborn uh, for the unborn child, the stillborn child of of uh, Pastor Hopkins and his dear wife Caroline. Um, on the one hand, a very sad event, and yet also one that in time becomes uplifting to those who remain. Now, Pastor and his wife, they are paragons of virtue in dealing with this. Um, I can't begin to think of myself in those shoes. We have four children, all born healthy, and now well on their way in life. But there are those who that kind of incident, they say, where is God when I need him? Or why would God allow this to happen? You know, the, the very typical questions, and they allow the questioning to literally diminish their faith to the point where they walk away. Mm-hmm. And it is to the point of tears um, in working with them to try and pray and hope and yearn and encourage others to be involved in their lives if they're sick and tired of their pastor bugging them to come back to church to find a way <laughs> for the gospel to again reignite that flame in them to realize that there is no burden so great as to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in Jesus Christ. And that's what we want people to know. Absolutely. And this is something where um, it obviously doesn't just happen when someone has a traumatic event. Sometimes that leads people closer to the Lord, sometimes farther away. One of the things that, and this is something I ask for the listeners, uh, for us, for us as pastors to continue to pray for is this young people. You know, they get, they get out of high school, they go their own direction, and for whatever reason, they just kind of become apathetic. And, and this brings a lot of tears to a lot of families. And I'm, I'm going to tell this story. I went to a, a, a study, a theological study at a local Catholic university, and they were talking about generational faith. And one of the things, and I mean, it's all Catholic people in me. I mean, it's just, it's just great time. And, and the, the professor said, yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was really fun. There's times where you're like just ready to celebrate. And there's other times like, I don't think I believe that. But anyway, so, so they were, the professor said, how many of your generation, most of them are in their seventies or sixties, how many of your siblings go to church? And people thought about it and it kind of agreed upon that majority of their siblings go to church. And they said, how many of your kids go to church? And then all of a sudden you saw the numbers drop precipitously. So maybe half or a third of their children, it was all agreed upon. And then how many of your grandkids? And it was like just a, a, just a little dribble, a little bit of a, you know, a drop of the faucet kind of numbers. And that was the first time I realized this is not just a Lutheran issue. This is a Christianity issue of the generational struggles that we have. And it didn't bring me to tears, but I do have that when I do pray for people, especially younger generations and people who don't go to church. And this is something I I think about quite a bit, that this is something that we probably all need to pray and ask the Lord would imitate those who do go to church and those who take their faith serious. Any thoughts on that? Because this is something that's near and dear to my heart, and as I know it is for you. 
Mm, certainly is. On the one hand, we are to pray without ceasing and uh, leave the uh, results to the Lord. On the other hand, we're told, raise the child in the way that he should go, and in his old age he will not depart therefrom. I just heard a wonderful story from a, uh, a lovely professor uh, just recently retired at uh, uh, Northeastern University, and she has a mm. daughter whom I baptized uh, quite a number of years ago who recently said to her mom, after some years of not attending church, Mom, I will be coming back. And her mother, God bless her, that was such a joy to hear those words that she says to me, I think under the circumstances, I just need to stop bugging her about it. I need to live a life that reflects my faith and be ready at any time to welcome her Mm. back. So Mm. there's always that hope, of course. And in this case, a mom who's been in reflecting the faith in her own life. That's and that's literally all we can do. So that's my encouragement to you as our listeners and for for Pastor and I is that we just go through our list, go through the people that we've confirmed, people, kids that we have baptized, uh, family members. Let's just go through our list. Let's make a commitment to do that and say, Lord, help us uh, to be witnesses. And it's ultimately up to you and the Holy Spirit. So let's move on to our last few verses, 19 through 21. We have about eight, seven or eight minutes left here, Pastor, and I want to make sure we get this part right. Verses 19 to 21. Their end is destruction. Their God is in their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So the first thing is, how easy is it to set our mind on earthly things? Uh, Pastor, I think about this quite a bit because, like you said, your house blew up. (laughs) And so you were a witness to me. Um, But how easy, as you said so well, it's so easy to focus on those things when there's a bigger prize out there. Any reflections on that? Well, I might begin by saying that uh, we decided that we would do our own work, uh, which was long and hard, to list everything that was lost, by and large from memory, because everything burned. I mean, there's not a single thing that survived. There are things that are recognizable. The, uh, the harp of the uh, grand piano, there it is, with the strings attached, but all the wood is gone. So my dear Hmm. wife spent the better part of three years to put that list together with tears, hundreds of pages. Now, I did some, my personal stuff, but all the household stuff she did, and it was a horrendous process. But ultimately, those things can be replaced, and and the, the joy in all this is, that for those who have faith, we know that this is not the end, that the destruction or the loss of earthly things, even the death of loved ones, is not the end. The end is our home in heaven, which we strive towards, striving not as in, I need to work to make sure I get there, but striving as in, 
living a life that reflects what Christ has done for me. His gift is greater than anything I can possibly give back. And this is why he transitions in verse 20 so nicely. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from there we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't help but read that and then sing the song. As I mentioned, you know, this church cookbook, I also remember these same ladies who gave us the recipes singing this hymn. I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Earth is a desert drear. Mm-hmm. Heaven is my home. Danger and sorrow stand round me on every hand. Heaven is my fatherland. Heaven is my home. Why is that so comforting? In, in well, at all times, but especially in times of destruction. Well, in heaven, there's going to be no explosions of homes. There's going to be no no loss of loved ones. There's going to be no pain, no fear, no sadness. Um, and for me, uh, this this ultimate comfort comes from the words on the on the cross of Jesus to the thief, who after cursing at him, says. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' reply is, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, hey, if you do math, if the guy goes to paradise when he dies, Jesus still has a mission in hell to proclaim victory. He's got resurrection. He's got 40 days on earth before ascension. So how does that work? Well, apparently in heaven, there's no sensation of time. So think about it. The stillborn child of our pastor in Boston is not longingly waiting for mom and dad. That child will see mom and dad as if it's today. Mm -hmm. And this is where, and then he goes right into this understanding of the resurrection, because it points me to every time you do a funeral and if you do a committal, that these words in verse 21 are always said. And they're, to me, they're, they're one of the most memorable parts of when you have a funeral and then you go to the gravesite, at least traditionally, you go to the gravesite and you just do a few things. But one of them that you do is you put your hand upon uh, the body or uh, the urn or the casket and you will say these words. Um, we now commit this body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says these words that Paul says, who will change our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body by the power and that enables him to subdue all things to himself. And why is that so powerful at a funeral and in a committal, Pastor? It, it is an assurance that is not of this world, right? You, mm-hmm. you cannot give any earthly assurance that has that power. But this assurance transcends this earth and brings us to the realm that is God's. And in that heavenly realm, there is a comfort and a peace. And as I like to say to teenagers, you won't even have pimples anymore. I mean, it just (laughs) is that place which Christ himself is preparing for you so that you may be where he is and you know how to get there because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. 
as we close up our time here, about just under a minute that we have left, how would you sum up these verses that we read today? Well, one thing's for sure, you're going to have me take a look at my cookbooks, and you're going to have me remember the people who made an impact on my life because of their example. Some of them the most humble people, but who lived lives of significance in the way and manner in which their faith shone forth. And I thank God for them, and it helps me understand these passages in a very visceral way because those people made a difference in my life by allowing me to see Jesus and to hear Jesus from them. Pastor Ingo Dutzman, helping us today in Philippians chapter 3, and as he said so well, praise the Lord and pass the potatoes. Pastor Dutzman, thank you for being our guest. Joy in Jesus. God bless you. Thanks so much. Saints of our Lord, our lives in Christ have never been promised to be an easy ride. It can be like straining to finish on the line of a marathon, but it is Christ who has made you his own, and in faith you have the sure and certain hope that he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body when he returns, and that's where we are able to say that heaven, our citizenship, is not here, but in heaven. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.